He grew up in the oil fields of West Texas. He's been all over the Western Hemisphere, a radio and TV veteran, former restaurateur, and a cowboy at heart. He's Earl Farrell, and he calls Memphis home because Memphis is cool. This, this is the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. And now, here's your host, Earl Farrell. And thank you very much, and uh, welcome in on this uh, Wednesday, another lovely fall-like day. I hope you've gotten out and enjoyed it. I was like 67 degrees when I got up this morning and went outside to have a cup of coffee, and I went, where am I? Uh, There was not that blast of heat that hit you when you opened the back door and sat outside and had a long sleeve shirt on. In fact, I'm wearing one uh, right now because it's... uh, it's just very, very balmy, and uh, that's going to change, <laughs> I hate to tell you, uh, but uh, it will, and so get ready for it. There's nothing we can do to stop it, and uh, so just get ready and brace for it, but uh, you got another great night tonight. I think the low is going to be like 63 tonight, so enjoy this evening. Uh, a lot going on news-wise, um, right uh, right now, the... Uh, the uh, uh, Family, the Tui family, had a news briefing earlier on the blindside situation involving uh, Michael Orr making national headlines. I mean, you turn on the news early this morning, and it was really interesting. You watch the news last night, and you look at uh, X or any of the social media, and you're sitting there going, well, uh, so I wonder what the deal is. Uh, The thing about, uh, I've been around the whole thing. My son, JB, went to school with Michael Orr. We've known the Tuies for years. My wife uh, went to high school with her and at Briarcrest, and Michael played at Briarcrest. Uh, we followed his whole career. Now, of course, we saw the, the, the book, the movie, and his career in the NFL. And, uh, you know, you hate to see anything ever come to this situation, but uh, it, it was just recently pointed out that uh, Sean Tuie sold all of his uh, franchises to to uh, Taco Bell and 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 the Colonel for something like two hundred and twenty million dollars, and uh, Michael has been out of the NFL for a while. He wrote one book. He's written another book, and in fact, he had a book signing yesterday in Oxford, and there were several hundred people there. I wonder if there had been that many people had he not uh, come out and said he was uh, um, in this uh, legal entanglement with his uh, these benefactors, which is what I'll call the two is because they certainly benefited michael they came out and uh, michael was trying to say that that he they made a ton of money off him um this is according to channel three's uh website local attorneys representing sean and leanne tui say michael orr's allegations that he was led to sign away his rights over his story in the blind side are patently false attorneys for the tui family said Today, that uh, they are devastated by the bombshell allegations. The family treated other or like a son, loved him despite never formally adopting him. Each member of the family members, including Orr, received an estimated 100000 from the blind side, the attorney said, and uh, uh, that uh, Michael got every dime, every dime he had coming, attorney Randy Fishman said. I know Randy Fishman and uh, Steve Ferris. I know both of them are excellent attorneys. The attorneys reiterated that the family has stated they would be happy to terminate the 2004 legal conservatorship. It's hard to say. It's not a conservationship, but it's not a conservatory. At any rate, 
that Monday's petition seeks to dissolve. Uh, they don't need the money. They never needed his money. Mr. Tui t- sold his company for $220 million, Attorney Steve Harris said. The response Wednesday comes two days after a petition was filed in Shelby County Court by Orr seeking to dissolve the agreement with the family. Orr alleges the Tui family never adopted him as it promised and instead exploited him for their financial gain. He claims he found out in February of this year. Tui family took on Orr, now 37, when he was in high school playing football for Briarcrest Christian School in suburban Memphis. Or went on to a career in the NFL after uh, playing football at Ole Miss. The story became the subject of the Oscar-winning movie, The Blind Side, which was made more than $300 million worldwide. Reese said that Tui's did not control Orr's finances, and Orr hired his own agents. He said while the Tui family still loves Orr, he has been estranged from the family for about 10 years. I'd heard it was about two, but 10, that's wow. And has recently become more threatening. And uh, so that's the end of that. Uh, it will be interesting to see what the next steps are. But as we, I said yesterday, when all this started breaking, uh, or Monday, that, uh, you know, you never jump off and say, well, I think this and I think that, because there's always more to the story. I All I can say is uh, I've been to see Michael speak. Uh, uh, he spoke at... Um, uh, uh, Hope Church went one Saturday afternoon with my brother-in-law to see him speak with another football player, and, and he was very entertaining, and uh, I was very impressed with him. Followed his career, knew the kids that played with him in high school, and uh, but have known the Tuies as I said for years. But we don't hang out with them; they kind of different echelon than we are. But we we are places where we see them. They're always very um, uh, friendly. Come up and say hi, and how's everything going, and they're a very major part of the community, and uh, if you just examine it on face value, you have to wonder where Michael would be had they not uh, come and, and helped him out, you know? Uh, but as my sister always says, uh, no good deed goes unpunished, <laughs> and don't we all know that? <laughs> Every time you try to go help somebody and then you find out that it kind of backfires on you, I do hope they work it out, but uh, in, in even my own family. Uh, you know, there have been uh, situations where family members do things and, and uh, you, you go, I can't believe they did that. Or they would go up against my mother and my father. And then people say, well, why don't you try to make up with them? I said, well, when you think about it, when somebody sues your mother and your father and they grew up in the same house as you did, and you go, uh, I don't know how they could do it. And it, it usually always involves money. And it's sad. But uh, it changes things forever, although they say they want to be able to be uh, and love him and would like to be able to treat him as they always have. You know, when something like this happens, it really does, uh, it changes everything, and uh, especially when you get uh, in the media the way they are. I mean, we were never in the media. It was a very private thing, but still broke my mother's heart, broke my father's heart, and that you uh, never get over. And you can forgive people for doing something, but uh, who would want to be around or hang out or uh, be uh, as you once were with somebody that could uh, hurt your own parents that way? You wouldn't. And it doesn't matter who they are in relationship to you and your family. They're bad people. I'm not saying Michael Orr is a bad person. I'm just saying wait till you find out all the information here and, and exactly what's going on. There's always everybody putting their own spin on the story. And... Uh, 
so we'll see what happens. But uh, I just uh, always say, uh, don't start slinging rocks and everything else until you know the whole story and just uh, hope that somehow they can all uh, reach some kind of amicable uh, situation. In the meantime, uh, uh, the the Hawaiian, the Maui thing, it seems to be uh, Biden asks, uh, he says he's going to give the, these people uh, basically a pittance uh, for going through what they've gone through. And in the meantime, he ships another $200 million to Ukraine for more shells and bombs and cluster bombs and whatever else they need. Um, and then the battle keeps going on about Trump. And uh, if that's ever going to reach uh, trial, they, there's a lot of people saying now that the situation in, in Georgia, uh, although the district attorney there was wanting it to go to trial in the next six months, I mean, she said that, I said, that ain't happening. I mean, that's the one thing you can always guarantee, especially involving attorneys. Nothing happens fast because as long as the attorneys are having billable hours, they ain't no hurry to do anything. And uh, that includes uh, now the government uh, people get paid the same whether they work 10 hours or a million hours, but they're still going to show up every day. And so the other attorneys, they're going to ask for continuances and delays and delay. Well, just look at the Hunter Biden situation. They've delayed that whole investigation for five years. Five years. We're still investigating. <laughs> really? Uh, so it will be surprising if the uh, Georgia case comes up, and I've heard, in, in the next two years, even if then, and that because they, they're, they're basically taking federal charges and trying to localize them to a local situation, but that alone could get it uh, taken to a federal court and then dismissed altogether. And the other case is that even if they convict Trump and he ends up becoming elected president, he can pardon himself. <laughs> so you sit there and go, ah, gives me a headache thinking about all the combinations of things that have to happen. In the meantime, you got all these, these uh, people that, are, that hate Trump. They're out there jumping up and down. You think it's New Year's Eve. Because they all think that they've got what they want. As as sad as they were when Trump got elected, do you remember that? And uh, I was just talking to somebody about that uh, before the show. That it, uh, when Trump got elected, it was like the most depressing thing that ever happened to cable news, MSNBC, CNN. People were crying. Um, Don Lemon was just in. I don't know what to say. <laughs> and I found I found it extremely entertaining. Uh, but as as depressed as they were then, they're that happy now. And uh, Rachel Maddow, her her communist uh, show on MSNBC is uh, like number one right now. And I think that's just because all the people that were depressed when Trump got elected are tuning in now just to jump up and down and uh, bang on their tambourine going, we win, we win. At any rate, uh, we'll continue to follow all of it. Uh, but up next, uh, we've got Vicki Gandy with Go Team Gandy coming in to talk about real estate and with, you know, all the stuff coming out. Is it a good time to buy? And, and can young people still afford to get into a house? And how do they do it? We're going to talk about all that coming up next. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back on this lovely Wednesday afternoon. Vicki Gandy with uh Go Team Gandhi and Cry Like Realtors is in the studio. One thing we keep hearing about uh, with uh, the economy, inflation, property values, uh, all of it, is that it's becoming increasingly harder for young people to get into their first home because of 
just, I mean, I know my kids were trying to find a house in Collierville and there was nothing under 400000 That's one of the things that, in fact, I'm going through that right now. My youngest son just got his first engineering job. He started last week and um, he's wanting to buy a house and we've already got him pre-qualified and he's looking at, a, you know, qualified. He can only qualify for probably 250 but, you know, there are houses out there and, and I, I'm finding houses. There's just certain areas that I'm you know, of course, really particular where I'd want him to be because I wanted to make sure he's in a good area that he feels like um, that he can manage. And he he's pretty easy going, you know, pretty low expectation. But the thing is, kids, there there are loans out there. The main thing to do is to talk to somebody like me and talk to it. Let us hook you up with the lenders we know. We know a lot of lenders. They're all local. They have brick and mortar here in the city of Memphis. And um, there's a lot of competitive um, lenders out there doing different things to help kids there you know there's thda loans there's all kinds that they're doing for kids and it all matters on what their income is and that's the problem with some of it some of these kids make too much that they can't get the you know the down payment but there's a down payment assistance that i know mary beth does and several of them do that um that they can they have to qualify and i think that's where the agent and is so important to all buyers for different reasons but especially when you're a young buyer in your first house is they know about the different programs, assistance well, programs. Uh, uh, different uh, local banks are willing to do more than national banks. Uh, also, credit unions sometimes can do more than that because they're not for profit. That's true. Credit unions are really great. Um, they've offered some things, and that's the thing too. You know, for a while there, we didn't have to be knowledgeable about loans. I know when I first got in, you know, I've been a long time in business now, and we had to know what all they had to offer. And I, we're back to doing that. We're having to be schooled. Um, by what what's going on with different banks and with you know mortgage companies because we're we need um, to be able to say hey look here's this I mean you know and and the thing I have said this a million times but compete like don't just talk to one lender yeah. I mean, people go oh I'm just going to go with them I'm like and no. tell the other ones I'm shopping this exactly. around exactly and you tell them that they want to make it. the loan they will beat it nine times out of ten a lot of and I know the more competitive ones that want the business and they'll say oh I can I can knock off a half a point or whatever you know. Some of them will, they'll make it work. They want to make money. The other thing too is the sweat equity. You can go and find a home that uh, needs a lot of work. The main thing is to make sure you can get the loan on a house that needs work. Because a lot of times the banks or the lending institution will say, well, this house really isn't worth even what they're asking for. Mm -hmm. But the people that are asking for it, they don't want to come off the price. Uh, So, but there's all kinds of different ways of working a deal. Because what is a deal? A deal is a deal. Am I right? Yeah, there is. And there, and there are things that you can do. I had a house one time that had um, the ceiling. <laughs> this is an old guy. He's 89 years old. An attorney who still was practicing, 89 years old. And his master bedroom, the seat, the water would just come in. And he just had buckets here and there. The guy could have probably built the house from scratch. Yeah, don't stand over there. <laughs> I mean, there's mildew. And, 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 and the thing Typical was. Typical guy. Yeah. And yeah. he was like, oh, it's no big deal. My TV said, works. But, yeah. <laughs> But he just dodged the puddles. But um, we, we, my client wanted this house. It's a really good area over there by uh, Hutchison and MUS. And they wanted to be, live over that way. They had kids going there. And so they, they said, how do we do this? And so what we did was we made a deal and we set up the lender, had a special type of loan. And they said, okay, we can, we can, you know, put the money, um, you have to put money in escrow and then they'll have to put a new roof on. After you close, they have so many weeks to get all that done. And then the, the, appraiser comes back and checks it out out and everything and makes sure everything's taken care of and um so they got everything they needed taken care of and got the price they needed so it worked out well in that case it you just have to know how to dig and how to find those kind of people to do that and that's something we've been doing for a long time 
I want to ask you about another uh, situation that's going on in the um, uh, over there in uh, the area. It's uh, Chickasaw Gardens, uh, mm-hmm. just across from Chickasaw Plaza, where the backs up to the Pink Palace. Mm-hmm. There's people that live back there. Is a little lake. It's a, a public park. It has a lake uh, back there. And the residents have started to see a lot of crime taking place there. And what they want to do is block off a couple of streets to keep through traffic from going through there and meeting some opposition from that. I remember Hind Park over by Rhodes College mm-hmm. did the same thing a few years ago. Where there was a street that everybody was using to go right through their neighborhoods, and they blocked it off, and it made the foot traffic and motor traffic go around it because of the safety issues and nobody gave them that any kind of a grief. Do you think they'll be able to do this? It's their neighborhood. As long as they keep the, the you can access the, the grounds from dawn till dusk. Cause that all Memphis parks are open at dawn and they close at dusk. That's right. Well, you know, and that I've seen that. I know I've got a friend who actually made, I uh, sold him his house and um, they made a cove where Shady Gove cuts, cuts through um, it's you know, there's like 17 different shady groves, but this is the shady grove between like uh, Perkins and and goes like to White Station or whatever. There's a street, and it used to make a big circle. And what they did was they cut off, and they had to. They, it was it's kind of a political thing. You got to get some people. You know, if you've got a, a good representative that you can get get on your side, that makes a big difference. But they managed to build, you know, do a, what you call a cul-de-sac or a mm-hmm. cove on one end. It's really not much. Literally, is like you could drive to the yard and get to it. But, I mean, it is blocked off. And they've done that because there were so many kids on that street and people were zipping around that coast. Yeah. And they did that. And um, you know, I noticed Roanoke, which is an area in Germantown, it's right there by my house um, on Poplar. They are now gating their community. Yeah. And so they're, they've got it all blocked off and everything, and they're putting the gates in. And that's so cool because they built it to set it up that way. And that was an interesting story too. Well, you're seeing more and more of that because of crime. Yeah. And then uh, if there's a way to block it off and you can get it done, get it done. Um, You may have to get some, get some, grease a couple of pockets or whatever you have to do to make friends with whoever (laughs) to get it done. But it's all. You're not talking bribery. (laughs) No, of course not. No, No, I'm talking about giving it to the church. Of course. (laughs) No, but they definitely um, can be done. It's, it's really interesting. um, Some of the, some of the, all the different things we're seeing happening because people are trying to make things work. Those cameras, you're seeing a bunch of those bright blue cameras. Those are coming well, up. Those would also the other ones that work are these flock cameras, mm-hmm. which are the ones that have artificial intelligence. They not only record the, the, the license plate and read that, they record everything about that car. So even if they change out the license plate, yeah. it will recognize that car. That's true. A lot of a lot of speed bumps are coming in. A lot of the streets are putting these speed bumps. I, I just sold a house in Alexander. Um, there's a speed bump every ten feet. <laughs> I saw on the news uh, this morning uh, that uh, places like in uh, Birmingham, they're putting them in uh, intersections like where the big shootout took place on Beale Street. That uh, they're stop those kids from doing. They call it display driving or. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, to stop it, and uh, that seems to be slowing things down too. But whatever you got to do, do. Uh, we have some more questions for Vicky, so she can hang around in the next segment. So stay with us. If you've got a question, give us a call at 901 260 5926.
Now, back to the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. Once again, Earl Farrell. And thank you very much, and uh, welcome back. Uh, Vicki Gandy with Go Team Gandy is in the studio, and we're talking uh, houses and, uh, and how to get into them. And then also, I saw a disturbing report out of uh, California the other day that was talking about that insurance companies are raising the insurance premium so much because of the replacement value in places like uh, California and Florida because of, obviously, the hurricanes in Florida, and not just hurricanes, but the, 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 the tidal um, flow, the, the, when the, the water rises because of a hurricane, mm-hmm. that causes more damage than the hurricane does. And then in California, everything is because of regulations has gotten so expensive, uh, which is only making this uh, area more and more important. But what it's also doing is it's pulling all those people from California and Florida coming to, to Tennessee because there's no state income tax. Housing, especially in Memphis, is much more affordable. In, in Nashville, it costs more to live in Nashville than it does in New York City. Yeah, Nashville's really gone after, you know, in fact, I were talking about Memphis is one of the most affordable towns in the country and they they're um, people are coming here there's no doubt about it but one thing about insurance that's one thing um that we that we were told recently to share with our clients they're saying that it may start where don't let your insurance lapse at all like yeah. you know sometimes you call your agent oh i missed my payment or something happened they're they're the rumor is that they're they may cancel you know boom you can't get it back and then you got to start all over again and, and, and it won't be what at the premiums you were paying. No, no, not at all. And, it, and some of them are not, not even going to allow them to get insurance again. It's going to be very difficult. And so I'm telling people. And I, one thing we always tell our clients is that, you know, they'll ask, cause, you know, flood plains and flood zones mm-hmm. and all that. We always we investigate all that and we get all the information on that when we're, you know, I'll make sure they're not in a flood zone and, you know, go on the websites and check with FEMA and all that. But we encourage people to because flood insurance is something that's not expensive if you're not in a floodplain. And then not only that, like you said, you can have some kind of water come in and they won't cover you. No. It's, it's, yeah. it's called rising water. Yeah. And if it doesn't come through the ceiling. Exactly. Then they ain't paying for it. And I will say something else, too, in, in covering, and whether it's global warming or whatever it is, we're having uh, these downpours that are much more intense than I've ever seen them before. I know. I know. And so if you're, and it's like we live, uh, it's not in a floodplain where I live in Collierville, but there is a creek that runs through uh, Memphis National Golf Course, that it gets up out of the banks. Now, it's never even come close to our house, but the thing is, it's it's everything's coming through our yard on its way there mm-hmm. uh, because of just the gravitational pull. And uh, you're right, it is not that expensive. And if you ever think that it is something you see it getting closer and closer as uh, these things continue, uh, it might be a good idea to do it because we're not talking hundreds of dollars. We're talking just dollars. Yeah, absolutely. You're uh, not looking at anything. And, you know, we have, we have something similar where I live in Germantown. We have a retention pod down at the end of the street, and the water goes through my yard, through my neighbor's yards, and, I, and it's getting to where it's come pretty close coming in the front door. And, the cool, you know, it's never coming up on the porch, but it's just inches. And, it's, and so we're digging, actually going to dig it out again and where our flower beds are and try to put more rock so it'll d- distract it to move. And we're at the bottom of a hill, too. We're the, 
You're the last stop. Yeah, we're the there's two there's sewer drains right across the street. It's my called house the, in front it's of me. called the pre lake. Yeah, so our yard, you know, you'll see the mud build up in the street. We have to dig it out. So put in our flower beds. Let's also be proactive in your yard. You, you pay close attention to that kind of stuff because th- things do change. I, I, we had some friends that built a swimming pool, and they were up higher than their neighbors behind them, and so after they built their pool, it diverted all this drainage, and it went from their yard down the hill to the neighbor's yard and it kept their yard flooded all the time. They sued our friends because they said it changed the uh, topography of the area. And so that's another reason. When you, know, you go to a contractor and say, can you do this? They will say yes. But that's another reason to talk to your real estate agent. That's Absolutely. why you stay yeah. friends with your real estate yeah. agent. I have sent many a landscaper out to do a French drain, exactly what you're talking about. Um, because like you said, they, they've changed, they can change a lot of different things. They can change flower beds and make the, Make, make the water go differently and i've had them have to put the gravel in and the drain and have it go to the street and if not they would have it would have been a nightmare and the neighbors would have been a nightmare because it, it can go it's going to go somewhere yeah, yeah. <laughs> i like, think about water <laughs> it's an uninvited guest yes, and it is and it will go if it, it may not stop here but it will stop somewhere and, and you just don't want to make sure they can't pull you into the cycle of blame and a contractor doesn't necessarily know that needs to be somebody that's in the, in the landscaping business. I've got several people and good friends that I work with all the time and they can design it and tell you and they can fix it. Cause that's a big deal. Uh, one thing I want to bring up before we get out of here is, uh, the, the Germantown situation. Is it going to affect houses and sales in Germantown? What Germantown? Oh, the, the water, the water situation. I don't, I don't know. I, I haven't been to any meetings or something. I'm not, I wasn't as alarmed as, as, a lot of the little group that were and they were really upset and I, I just looked at it like you know I was involved with um, leadership Germantown and we met with some of the uh, water people year, years back and he he was pleading his case on why we needed another water tower which Our we water now towers, have yeah which we now have they finally got it through nobody wanted it you know, they kept voting it down voting it down and so they asked us to start putting the word out that they almost failed. Their, our water almost failed several years back, and he went through the whole deal. And he said, look at the towers. They've been there forever. No. So they've got the new one, and now they're just waiting. I guess it may be done by now. I don't know. But they had to go through a process yeah, to, to, right. to prove that it's you know everything worked right. properly. But the, other, the other thing, too, is they have proved that this was a, a mistake made by an employee. It was. Who allowed it to overflow. It wasn't a leak. Yeah. It was allowed to overflow when they were refueling a generator. And then the other thing is, and I've had this water expert on uh, who's written books on water safety. He says, if you live in Germantown, buy a, a, a filter for your faucet that you get water out of mm-hmm. that you use the water to cook with. And you can also get them for your showers. It doesn't know about a bathtub, but just get it. They're not, they're not expensive. It's a carbon filter mm-hmm. and you can buy them at Walmart or any place uh, and just be on the safe side. Uh, but he said, there's uh, all kinds of uh, deposits and calcium deposits and rust that goes into our water all the time. Everybody's water. Everybody's and wherever water. you are. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, he said, that if you're concerned about it, all buy bottled water. But the property values in Germantown should not go down because of this. They've rectified the problem. And uh, it's still a better place to live than any place else around uh, here. No doubt. And we've got, we've got good leadership. And, th- and they've worked really hard trying to fix it. It, it didn't go as well as, as some people like didn't like it. But, I mean, you know, we just used They handed out bottled water. You could go over yeah. to the school and get it. I got it two or three different times. It worked out well. But It just it, it came right on the heels of all the power outages yeah, and yeah. everything else. So people were not happy campers no. <laughs> anyway. And then the situation in Maui, what a tragedy oh, that is. And, uh, you know, there's now, and 
you've seen what developers could do. I mean, they're sitting there now trying to move into Maui and, and people that were trying to buy land there, the natives, uh, native uh, residents there that have been there 200 years, some of those families. Um, so a lot of people are starting GoFundMe's for them. Check those out. Make sure they're legit. Yes. But help those people because the last thing you want is a bunch of developers going into Maui and building shopping strips and commercial It'll look like Destin in a year. Oh, oh yeah. And uh, it's, uh, I think the president came out and offered some kind of small amount. In the meantime, he's sending Ukraine another $200 million in artillery shells. Uh, I mean, th- this is America, this tragedy happened. And it's so odd how it happened, too. I don't, yeah, as you think, you think of it being a tropical place and a fire, you know, you always think of, I think of fires being like out in the desert, an area like California where it's dry. Well, but, the problem was know, all those buildings were hundreds of years old, yeah. made from wood. Yeah. And right. so you spark those and it, and uh, I did read today there was another fire that took place uh, in uh, the United States and it was back in the 1800s and it was, uh, it was, uh, a situation where, uh, that's not it, uh, uh, I'll, I'll find it for the next segment, but it was a, a fire that uh, moved so fast that it said it looked like the sky was on fire. Oh, wow. And it burned down this entire town, killed something like uh, 4,000 people. This is in the 1800s. Wow. So I don't think this has as much to do with uh, with uh, global warming or uh, climate change as it does. They, they're now saying they think it was power lines that came down on these oh, buildings well, and started the fire. Then with the winds at 60, 70 miles an hour, yeah. it just uh, exasperated the whole situation. So, that is so sad. The real estate there is amazing. I mean, talk about expensive place yeah. to live. Whew, well, even those people said it was already too expensive for us to live here. Yeah. And now it's only going to go up. I know. It's so just, it's, it's, prayers uh, go out to them. They need to, they need to have some kind of something for them to help them well it's crazy vicky how they get a hold of you they got questions and or want to buy or sell real estate uh 901-412-2691 and go to our website uh goteamgandy.com all right thank you very much we're going to take a quick break then we'll be right back and welcome back on this uh wednesday afternoon uh, we were talking about the situation in Maui and how awful that is and still not quite sure exactly what caused it. They're thinking now power lines. Uh, but I did come across this article about uh, in Maui, echoes of the deadliest U.S. wildfire in American history, 1871, Pistigo Blaze, Pistigo, Wisconsin, uh, near Green Bay. And uh, this was a fire... It said for many it had an hour, uh, just an hour in the town of Stigo and said to have been the virtually wiped off the map. It was estimated that some 1,200 people died, 800 in Pestigo alone, as the fire blazed through 17 towns on both sides of Green Bay, burning more than a million acres. How the Maui fire compares with some of the deadliest U.S. fires, despite the mass destruction of America's most lethal wildfire, has long been overlooked, overshadowed by the great Chicago fire, which erupted the same night, 1871, and consumed public attention. So you get the Chicago fire, you know, Mrs. Kelly's cow or Mrs. Uh, that was an Irish name, remember that. Uh, but despite the mass destruction, America's most lethal wildfire has long been overlooked. Um, but as the rising death, uh, number of deaths keep going, they don't really know how many have died in, in the Maui fire. 
I guess the point being, though, that these fires happened long before uh, anything they considered to be uh, climate change. Uh, if the winds are at a certain level and all the buildings built back then, as they were in Maui, were built 200 years ago. This was a whaling village, and all the buildings were built with, by, with wood. And the wood came from sailing ships that sailed to Hawaii from all over the world. And, in fact, that's how Memphis was built. It was built well, we had, fortunately, a lot of uh, hardwood forest around here, so they had a lot of – but they would uh, use a lot of the ships in, in New Orleans. That's where a lot of the buildings were built in New Orleans uh, were from the ships they would dismantle. And then the they would take the uh, river uh, flat-bottom boats as they fly, floated down the river all the way from, from uh, Wisconsin – down the Mississippi River to New Orleans, and then when they'd get there, they would uh, dismantle them and b- sell the wood off as um, because it was very, very valuable. The problem is the older wood like that gets, the more flammable it becomes. And uh, in Hawaii, they don't really have air conditioning or heating because they just need really a roof. A lot of the places you go into over there are just uh, open. If you look at pictures of the bars and pluses, the places right along Front Street where they were just wiped out, they were all open. They had a breeze that would go right through. They were usually two-story, at least two-story. And a lot of times they, the people that owned them would live upstairs, and then the bar and restaurant would be downstairs. And uh, whether or not they'll be able to rebuild or not, uh, nobody knows. Right now they're still trying to just dig through the debris and see if they can find any more remains. Uh, I don't know. But it's, uh, it is just a tragic tragic situation and you think it's just like a little town everybody there especially because of the hawaiian native hawaiians were all related to each other and just you know whole uh, families were were wiped out or will be when they get down to it so uh just all of our thoughts and prayers continue to go out to them and uh hope that uh, you know they can can get as much going as, as quickly as possible and that uh, the, the, the opportunists don't go in there and do what they normally do, uh, which is uh, try to get something for a, a song. And Well, actually, they couldn't get anything before because nobody wanted to sell. Well, now they really don't have much to sell except for their land. And I think the governor has said he's going to make sure that, uh, that they're not going to let that happen where they take, uh, take the opportunity to, to rip these people off. And uh, because believe me, I'm people in the uh, in that business uh, are always ready to rip somebody off. It's just uh, uh, you got to watch them every every bit of the way. This is an article I was looking for earlier, though, that uh, Biden offers Maui fire survivors one time pittance on the same day. Two hundred million goes to Ukraine. I uh, said, if Republicans are actually serious about overthrowing President Joe Biden in 2024 general election, perhaps they should spend less time bickering among themselves and spend more time paying attention to the octanarian in chief himself because he's doing a bang-up job writing the GOP sales pitch for them. While many rightfully feel that Joe, both Joe and Hunter Biden should be behind bars in the event that these damning bribery allegations turn out to be true, that still involves putting trust in this particular uh, department of injustice <laughs> fret not though because biden has just served up another piping hot reason not to vote for him and this was won't even hinge on u.s attorney david wise this re- just requires a working set of eyes and general understanding of how time works on monday biden announced 
assistance to the people of Hawaii affected by the tragic Maui wildfires, as well as Ukraine. One group is getting individual one-time payments of $700 each. Let me repeat that. $700 each. Another group is getting $200 million. Guess which is which? Uh, Monday's news release, the Department of Defense announced it was sending another $200 million to aid in aid to Ukraine. The money appears to be earmarked strictly for military use, as the release lists out where the money will be going. Here are just a few examples straight from them. Tube-launched, optically-tracked, wire-guided tow missiles, Javelin and other anti-armor systems and rockets, over 12 million rounds of small arms and ammunition and grenades. Conversely, Biden took to X, formerly Twitter, to announce a different round of aid, this time for the citizens of Hawaii of note. The death toll is, as of this writing, set at 96, as per the Associated Press, but it's expected to rise, uh, and the efforts continue to search out for the remains of other people. But after noting the FEMA Federal Emergency Management Agency would, would do what it could for those displaced, he announced further aid that would go directly to the pockets of the family survivors, which amounted to about 700 bucks. Here's the other thing. Uh, his press secretary, Jean-Pierre, said there were 300 FEMA people on the ground. People there say they haven't seen one since this happened. We'll take a break. We'll be back. He grew up in the oil fields of West Texas. He's been all over the Western Hemisphere, a radio and TV veteran, former restaurateur, and a cowboy at heart. He's Earl Farrell, and he calls Memphis home because Memphis is cool. This is the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. And now, here's your host, Earl Farrell. And uh, joining me in studio right now is Brian Ellis, who is uh, a developer. He's, well, he's done a lot of stuff, a music promoter, uh, and has been very active in Memphis over the years. And uh, I'm uh, trying to get into, um, in fact, the name of his company is Turnage Restoration. That's in one of his other businesses. Yeah. But you, you've been involved uh, in the Mid-South Fair. Delta Delta Fair. Fair. Yeah. Uh, and putting together all kinds of all over the country, you've you've put together uh, uh, musical events and concerts, and and the reason I wanted to talk to you is because uh, they're talking about moving the Memphis and May events to another location in Memphis. We had talked about it last year, and I had you on because of your background and the right. fact that that they were making uh, making it look like it was, they might not have even come back this year, which they did, but it wasn't the same. Uh, and now they've come up and said that uh, the, the Memphis Bay owes like a 1.6 million in damages. You've been around in this business a long time. Of all the concerts you've had, I bet there've been some wild ones. Yeah, do you, you ever have 1.6 million in damages done to the venue where you were at? No. And the crazy thing is, if I remember right, it didn't even rain this year. No, it did not. I mean, think it about did. if it had rained as normal. What yes. that astronomical fee? Um, man, I can't. I, I haven't seen it. And I haven't seen the scope of work, but that that's a lot of money. Well, um, I, especially I, knowing the politics around. Yeah, that they didn't want them. Yeah, we, we, I, this is our speculation is, but we also have Carol uh, 
Coletta, who is the head of the uh, Riverfront Development. Whatever. MRPP, Memphis River Parks. Yes. Yeah. And uh, she is on record several years ago saying, I think Memphis and May is great. I just don't think they're great downtown. She didn't want them downtown. And then all the negotiating that took place after that about they're going to have to leave the park to be able to do the construction. We'll try to get them back in. And then, then where they could do it. Then she went, it came up and actually wanted them to put 1.4 million up as a security deposit for damage. It just turned out that 1.4 million is actually how much damage was done. According to them. Interesting. Isn't it? Yes, it is. Which is older I get. And I'm pretty damn old. Uh, I see fewer and fewer coincidences and more and more, uh, schemes going on in the world. Well, and I mean, we're getting trained that way, right? What's yeah. the angle here? You yeah. want to be trusting, but, uh, you look around and say, follow the money. Yeah. And, uh, you sit there and go, well, a lot of 65 million went into redoing Tomley park. Uh, but do you think back to also to the, to the pyramid, you think back to uh, mud Island, the amphitheater, the museum that was built there. I don't remember what the price tag on all that was. But that didn't really last but about 10 or 12 years, and then it kind of just went uh, floated away. Same thing with the pyramid. They just shut it down when they built the FedEx Forum. Yeah. And then, thank God, uh, Bass Pro came along and said, I, I think we can do something and and and, uh, and have. I mean, there's a million people a year coming to Bass Pro. I mean, yeah, Johnny Morris, I do some stuff with a nonprofit right outside of Branson, and he's obviously saved that town, but what yeah. he's done for that side of downtown when, when he tried to get, they were trying to push him away. I yeah. mean, that's, what's unbelievable. When you look back at, um, you know, um, just even mud Island, you know, you've got, there's multiple, there's a large resort company who I won't name cause I don't want to get in trouble that tried to put a resort there. There was top golf tried to be there. I remember top golf and our <clears throat> top golf is out at Winchester and Germantown South. Yeah. Which I've jokingly said that the only thing louder than the sound of those drivers hitting the golf balls will be gunshots over there. <laughs> oh, I got no comment. <laughs> well, I, I did. Yeah. So you don't have, to. uh, I hope it's a good location for it though. I mean, I hope so too. It looks, it looks cool, but yeah, it's, it's sadly finished, that whole, that whole corridor over there off Winchester. You just look at, it's tough to have a business over there for sure. Well, it is, and the people that do try, uh, you look at what happened uh, on election night, they broke into all the little shops that sell video games. Every single one of them got broken into. Yeah. Had a couple of liquor stores broken into, and the smash and grab, there was a gun dealer that was on Winchester. They went out of business. They said, we, we, we can't keep it Well, up. they had a sign on the door that said, if you smell like weed, we're not going to let you in, which pretty much stopped all traffic. Yeah. So, well, you know, the business, this business you talked about a second ago that I'm in right now is a restoration business, but we're... You know, these smash and grabs, these, these yeah. are, a lot of these are not corporate entities that own these That's businesses. These individual. are mom and pops yeah, absolutely. and thousands and thousands of dollars every time this happens. And you can't, insurance isn't going to just keep paying for it. No. And, uh, In fact, we were just talking about insurance a minute ago with Vicki Gandy, uh, who's a real estate agent and the insurance companies are losing money because not just because of natural disasters, but all the crime, all these, all these smash and grabs all over the country. Yeah. And they're not going to keep insurance companies. It's going to be like if you make more than one claim, they're going to cancel you. And how could you do business and risk all your inventory if you don't have insurance to guard against it? Well, and I'm on I'm on a board, a couple boards, but one board I'm on is the premiums three hundred thousand historically. Uh, I'm sorry, thirty thousand historically. They want to get the same insurance, a hundred and twenty grand. They went up four hundred percent basically. Well, it's happening in California where they're actually, where they were one time paying like, uh, 1300 a year. They're now wanting to 
pay uh, 1300 a month. Good. And so it is, it, it's, it's going on all over the country, and the crime is one of the big issues. But I don't want to get away from, from Tom sure. Lee. Well, let's talk, just take a look. At you, you've been doing things, events. You've done things at uh, the Delta Fair at uh, Shelby Farms. You've done things uh, with the, the Mid-South Fair, but was it back when it was at the fairgrounds? Yeah, so um, when we did the Mid-South Fair, it was right when it moved. Uh, we, so South Haven? Yeah, Mark, Mark and I were doing the Delta Fair at the Agri Center, and uh, we got asked, uh, would we kind of behind the curtain run the first two years when they moved to South Haven? So we got to kind of help out with that at the Lander Center. I did a balloon festival just a couple of years ago at Shelby Farms. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, Hot Air Balloon Festival. And, uh, you know, the question, I, I, I do hate it for Memphis and May. I mean, they're, they're, they're in a battle they can't win. That's evident. The forces. Yeah, are, they're, they're not going to be downtown, at least not down to Tom Lee Park. That ain't going to happen again. Yeah, and I think the secret sauce that, that makes it work, and you and I have talked about this, is that that event uh, is such a benefit to Memphis, but also to downtown Memphis. So, them trying to find a new home. I've not talked to a gym or anything like that. I don't know what they're thinking or what the angle is, but well, I talked to him, uh, Monday, okay. Randy, uh, his, uh, head of communications. Yeah. And Bevelin. Yeah. Randy Belvin. Uh, Belvin. And he said that, uh, they're right now, they're still, we're talking to the insurance company about what the insurance company will pay as far as damages go which is what's going to mean what's ever left is what's going to have to come out of the uh, profits that Memphis and May made this year, which will dictate, you know, how much they got to even go on. Well, and then if I remember right too, the city to kind of get it all done, they put up an X half a million dollars, right? Towards the damages. I had, I haven't heard that, but it wouldn't. I think, I think that was uh, one of the things that Strickland was able to do when negotiating, but still, if that's the case, and Memphis and May has to pay one point one million in damages, and the city were to pay half a million. I mean, that's just so. That's I'd love to see the uh, the estimates on that work. That's a lot of money. <laughs> well, it is because you know what it costs to put on an event. You know what sod cost. You know what trees cost. I mean, if if somebody were to come along and chop down a tree, uh, uh, you get you go and you say, "Well, what's the replacement cost of this tree?" And or we got to replace, you know. 300 cubic feet of uh, sod you know yeah. that's a fixed cost they're saying there was grease found in the uh in a hole that uh, they used to uh, turn on and off water systems and stuff grease does not ruin something yeah i i think the hard without the facts and seeing it and hopefully all that comes out i mean even if it's uh, at the very least in defense of from what I understand memphis made tried with their vendors and the people that came to do a very good job of of not harming the the new features of the parks and things of that. So I don't think people were just going crazy, but it'd be interesting if that all comes out and we can see that. But 1.6, as you originally said, I mean, that just seems like a lot of money, especially knowing that it seems um, MR, we, MRPP doesn't want them to be there. I think and they're it. the landlord. So, yeah. I mean. You figure it out. But they don't have the uh, public on their side. So let's I make up, let's I, I force think, them to pay their way out. Uh I don't think that they care whether Memphis and May is happy or not. No, I, th- I think that they're they're saying we don't want you as a tenant, and we're not going to at least you or anybody else is going to come down there. I don't know who it is, and whether it's the people that live along the bluff that they don't want to look down and see smoke coming up from Memphis and May. They don't want to hear the loud music that goes on until midnight or one o'clock in the morning. I know 
years ago, we had a place called the Sunset Cafe that was down at the foot of Beale Street. Yeah. And Marge Thrasher, who you're probably too young to remember her, but she used to be a television personality here, worked at uh, 13, which was back in those days, Eyewitness News. And she and her husband, Dr. White, lived in uh, the the Wagner Place Apartments right there on Beale Street. Right. And she used to call us up, (laughs) turn that music off, try to (laughs) sleep downtown. We said, Marge, I understand, but this is an urban environment. Yeah. (laughs) It's Friday night. And we got a band here, and these people are coming downtown to have a good time. And legally, she couldn't do anything, but she, she gave us hell. Well, I will say this. I have some friends that live on the bluff, and I, I they're not happy with the park. I, I don't think they're with against the way it is now? Yeah, because yeah. if you look at it, within a couple decades, the trees that were planted down there were going to block everyone that lives on the bluff. It, so I don't yes. think the people on the bluff even want Memphis and May out. And I think that's a uh, reason for... Uh, if we can drum up these fees, uh, because I think the public kind of came in defense of Memphis and May when it, there was did. a chance they weren't going to come back downtown. I agree. I think you're exactly right. Uh, we're talking with Brian Ellsworth, who is, uh, among other things, a uh, um, producer of uh, big events. And uh, we're going to continue this. And also, in the fact that he actually came up with an idea to do something with Mud Island. We'll talk about that when we come back. Stay with us. <laughs> Gotta go. All right, welcome back uh, on this Wednesday afternoon. Brian Ellsworth is with us. He's on a company called uh, Turnage Restoration, and uh, they do a lot of, uh, of construction work and restoring buildings after they get smashed and grabbed. Yeah, and uh, but he's also been in the, in the music business and producing uh, big musical events, uh, concerts, uh, things like the uh, Delta Fair, Mid South Fair. And we were left off. We were talking about Tom Lee Park, and where where could they move Tom Lee Park that would be better? Uh, not Tom Lee Park; it ain't going anywhere. But move Memphis and May, which has been there since 1978, the year I got to Memphis. Wow, it was the first year they were there, and I'll never forget. They had been at the uh, what was a vacant lot next to the Orpheum Theater downtown, and in fact, the Orpheum Theater at that point was still shut down, along with the Peabody. Right, but there's nothing happening downtown. And the founders of Memphis and May, which included uh, uh, Rodney Baber, Tom Hutton, uh, Lyman Aldrich, and about four or five other young people at the time, uh, yeah. they, they were in their 20s, or mid-20s, early 30s, and they said, we got to do something to get this town going again. And so they came up with Memphis and May, which is an event to honor a different country every year. They would bring their ambassadors over. They'd go visit them. They'd raise the flag. And it turned into an incredible success, generating millions and millions of dollars from Memphis every year. And everything was going great until somebody came up with the idea of let's redo Tom Lee Park. And so the idea, and I remember going downtown and looking at the 3D model they had set up at Beale Street Landing so you could come take a look at it. I went down and looked at it, and I've still got pictures of it. And I said, according to this, and I got down low and looked, once they build this, you're not going to be able to see the river. Yeah. And so I kept asking that question. Oh, no, you'll be able to see the river. And I go, you can't. And then as they started building the moguls up in reality, and I would drive downtown and look at the progress, and I go, you're not going to be able to see the river anymore from Riverside Drive. It's going to be drive near the river <laughs> on Riverside Drive. Should change the name of it. Uh, but 
what do you think? Do you think that that was the intent all along was to build it in a way that would force any other uh, outdoor events that would take place there would be infeasible? Man, I really don't know. Obviously, we don't have the inside documents. I've I spent some time down there when they were trying to fund um, the park and the renovations for it. I, but I, it it's evident the way it was designed and created, there weren't events in mind. With <laughs> with knowing that the only tenant, maybe a picnic or two, <laughs> maybe. But even that, if you look at it, it, could you imagine the rules and regulations just to be able to utilize that for a decent size picnic. I remember right. before the park obviously did that, obviously it was flat and we yeah. could say maybe it needs some more plants or, uh, but why would you need plants? I grew up in Odessa where nothing grew. It was, it was flat and you yeah. could, you could plant it, but it wouldn't grow. Sure. Uh, Tom Lee park was all about the view of the river. It was. And it, if you remember before they renovated, you would see people on a Saturday, that thing would be packed. Yeah. It might not be air quotes, the prettiest park, but, but people were using it. You weren't going there because of the the view or the lush vegetation of the park. You went there to see the sky. Because I believe me, I'm from Texas where you can see plenty yeah. of sky. You come to Memphis and you drive down Poplar Avenue, you get to see about 12 degrees of blue sky. Yeah. The rest of it's green trees because you're, you're driving in a in a trench, basically. Yeah. And so it, it, people say, I want, where, where's the best place to see a sunset? The river. Sure. Go downtown Tom Lee Park. You can see a great sunset there. That's why they built all those homes on the bluff. That's why they built uh, the, the the two high rises down there on the south end. That's why people live there. It's because you can see an incredible sunset. And it also made it an incredible place to uh, have Memphis and May. That's why they moved it there. Yeah. Uh, I, we talked earlier about Mud Island. Mud Island, uh, I was also there for the opening of that. Uh, years ago I you're was date, dating terrible. yourself now well I, uh there's very few people that would date me though <laughs> <So> <laughs> i have to date myself uh but it is i i was there for the opening day of that channel three channel five channel 13 we all covered it huge event and uh they had the river walk they had the gulf of mexico which was a big swimming pool it was surrounded by these eaters today it'd be food trucks but back then sure. it was brick and mortar little restaurants had a very fine dining restaurant built up on, on the, the north end of Mud Island. Had a museum that was a world-class museum, a huge aquarium with, uh, with natural water fish in there. Uh, and it told the story of the river. It told the story of the river travel, uh, Mark Twain. And it just, they had that for a time, the Memphis Bell was parked over there. It was, yeah. And slowly but surely, they quit, they quit making repairs. Uh, Jimmy Ogle at one time was head of Mud Island because it was under the Parks Commission. And slowly but surely, the restaurant died away, went away. The the museum died. The, the, the Probably the zenith, the high point of it was when they filmed The Firm here in Memphis. They yeah. tried, and it looked spectacular. The monorail was working. Uh, Mud Island looked good. The museum, there were people going over there. It was perfect. And then it just it started in decline. And, and I think it was interesting that the $65 million they raised to totally transform Tom Lee Park, there wasn't a dollar in it to do anything to Mud Island. Yeah. Well, right around the time um, that was happening, I mean, that was part of you calling me this morning. You had heard um, about us putting a proposal in down there and all that. And I've never really spoken publicly about it, not intentionally not speaking about it, but we wanted to go in and, and revive Mud Island. 
redo the amphitheater. Jack. It exists. I mean, it's going to take some work to get it back up to spec. Yeah. But it seats, what, 5,000? Yeah, but it, 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 it could be overhauled easily. As you know, I mean, through my connections, and I had an event that Live Nation purchased part of, and so it got me a relationship with those guys and had them look at it. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people and shareholders that would love to see that revived. It, it was almost a non-starter. We spent six months working on it, put together a pretty good proposal, a very cost-effective proposal for the city. There was no liability on anybody. But the idea was uh, update the restaurants, fix up the bathrooms. It, as you said, it got outdated. One of the big things is the expense for the monorail. I, I have a buddy that, you know, being in the event business, the fair business specifically, I brought a guy in and uh, had him look at it. He goes, oh, this is an easy fix. Really? And um, and a lot of it's just maintaining it, right? And it's yeah, and it's maintaining it and having someone that's used to looking at amusement rides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, well, when you've got, um, as RDC was run for a long time, but head of utilities, you know, that's not necessarily a person thanking amusements, right? Or right. thinking entertainment. So I think there's a group of stakeholders that would have loved to have seen that thing happen over there and get some life back into mud island and it would well into downtown i mean there's nothing you know the you've got uh bass pros pulling in a million people a year just down the street yeah and obviously people want to be down there yeah uh we're going to tell you talk about uh, what's going on downtown and the plan for mud island that brian had years ago so we'll talk about that when we come back stay with us Now, back to the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. Once again, Earl Farrell. And thank you very much, and welcome back on this Wednesday afternoon. We've got my good friend Brian Ellsworth in studio. He's uh, in Vice President of Business Development for a Turnage Company. They do all kinds of restoration work, but he's also... Uh, promoter. He's a developer. He's done put on big uh, musical events for all over the country, uh, county fairs, uh, that kind of thing. And uh, a couple of years ago, he went to uh, was it the folks with the Riverfront Development? Yeah, at that part. Uh, at that point, it was uh, Memphis River Parks Partnership. You know, they kind of rebranded uh, from the RDC. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, I had this crazy idea. I was doing these festivals all over the country. We we're traveling all over the country, and it's like, man, I want to put a Ferris wheel in Memphis. That's how it started. Which I've, I've said this for years. I've said, yeah. you know, you go to St. Louis, they got a Ferris wheel in St. Louis. You go to London, they got a Ferris wheel in London. And it's like a folk beat you by the Ferris wheel. And, and every picture they take of downtown St. Louis or London down, you see the Ferris wheel. Sure. Well, and for us, we, the idea was, man, wouldn't that be awesome? And so I, uh, floated that to some, some people. And one of those people was in a meeting with Carol Coletta for a luncheon. And she had recently been in charge of Mud Island and the Memphis river parks partnership where they're managing all the, but, um, Hey, that's a great idea. Let's talk about it. So I met with MRPP board and we went six months or so and got all the way to the point of drawing up agreements, had Butler snow wow. draw up agreements. And it, um, honestly just kind of abruptly was halted. Um, <laughs> But the idea was to put where the flagpoles are on the south side of the uh, island, of yeah. that Ferris wheel. Because they're not ever going to put the flags up anymore. Because one of the flags, of the six flags, was the stars and bars, the Confederate flag. Yeah. And they ain't never going to fly any place again. So then you'd have one naked pole. <laughs> so they, they, ne- they haven't run the flags on that no. point in 15 years. 
Well, and and so what the idea was put the Ferris wheel down there, kind of do some uh, some work there on the south lawn, make that a festival space to do uh, various types of events, and uh, kind of redo the rest of it going north. But the idea of doing an outdoor wedding venue at the base of the bridge, Absolutely. redoing the restaurants, and then redoing the amphitheater. And, uh, cause there's a, I think there's a desire many people, and I don't think it's just nostalgic, right. But one of the hidden gems of Memphis is that, uh, amphitheater. I, I can tell you the groups I've seen there over the years. And I used to live downtown, uh, years ago and we just walk across. I would live at the tower apartments that yeah. we'd meet in my apartment. We'd go down walk across the street, go to the, take the tram over to mud Island, go to the concert. And when you're sitting there, you look up, and there is the city of Memphis right behind the stage. I remember one night there was a full moon that rose up during the concert with the city in the foreground. Spectacular. And the groups that came here loved it because you had yeah. a breeze, always had a breeze coming off the river. And uh, it was just a great, and it's, it's there. They had the, the infrastructure. Look what uh, Live at the Garden spent to have built a stage just like it in in, yeah. uh, in the park over there at the Botanic Gardens. And, and Sherry May and her team, I mean, that Live at the Garden is just incredible what they've done over the last two decades. And so, and, but and, yeah, that could be something uh, that could be done downtown without even affecting the east, out east crowd. But it wouldn't. In fact, if you look at the out east crowd with Live at the Garden, they've gone on with their concerts. FedEx Forum has gone on with their concerts. The Grove uh, and down in South Haven, the amphitheater down there, yeah. they've had their events, and none of it affects each other. There's plenty of people and venues and groups to come to Memphis uh, to provide entertainment for everybody and not take business away from anybody. Right. So, so when you said they abruptly just stopped it, I mean, did you? they were drawing up contracts, and you called and said, when could you get together to, to sign this thing and get it, get it linked up? Yeah, so... Um, I mean, we had uh, drawings mocked up. Like I said, Butler Snow to put together a, a contract agreement. Spent, I, I want to say it was about six months. And, uh, yeah, uh, when I say abruptly, we, we're thinking we got a done deal and we get brought in and, um, hey, we're not moving forward with this at all. No conversation to be had. And the person uh, from their board that delivered that message got up and walked out. That was it. I had uh, I had two board members talk to me off the record, of course, after the deal uh, fizzled out. But I never got an in-writing real response. Uh, what was the off-the-record response? Just um, that there was plans. At the time we were doing that, they were really trying to raise one for Tom Lee Park. So I think if some development was happening at Mud Island, the it would have taken away the attention. Well, potentially, but also I think the public had made it clear they if you were going to invest money, I think the public wanted to see Mud Island. Yes, because uh, we'd already invested millions in that. Yeah, so I think there was a part of that. There was a part of uh, kind of keeping uh, Mud Island in this uh, natural state, right? If you put Ferris wheels and entertainment over there, it it wouldn't look natural because at that time, if you remember Brooks museum was in the process of getting the fire department, uh, the old fire department down there with their, they were going to overlook, uh, what was mud Island. So, uh, you had that. And, um, I think that disturbed maybe plans that were happening there. And, um, but I still think to this day, we need a Ferris wheel downtown. I'm, I'm having some conversations to still try to make that happen. Um, that wouldn't necessarily be on Mud Island, but it would be downtown. Uh, but you think, and you look at where else is left downtown to be able to develop something like that. You've got uh, 
the north end of Mud Island, not Mud Island from the Auction Street Bridge as it goes across. There's a big turnaround right there. And you've got everything south of there, which is really considered Mud Island. The other part is called Harbor Town. Yep. And is that all privately owned, or who, who has control of Harbor Town and that that all the apartments and homes in that well, area? Well, one thing I remember when we were running this, uh, running down the idea of taking over Mud Island, because I think it, it there's no real number of what quote unquote Mud Island loses a year. But I think maintaining it, the number that was thrown out was a little over a million dollars a year. So the idea, if we came in and gave a dollar, we're in turn saving somebody a million. The city of yeah. Memphis. So the idea was to figure out how to uh, activate the north part of it as as some because one big thing over there is parking, right? How do we figure out parking if you do some large events? So we were looking at. How could we utilize the north side? But I think there's some activation that can be done on the north side if someone was given the opportunity to control Mud Island from an entertainment tourist perspective. Well, I and, and I will go back to my experience with Tomley Park. Tomley Park is was half the size it is today. The Corps of Engineers came along and backfilled uh, about midway through where the park is today all the way to that park that's up on the bluff near the old Rivermont Holiday Inn. Yeah. They filled all of it in, put in riffraff and rocks to keep it from eroding. You could do the same thing with the north end of Mud Island, expand that out to the, to the, more to the river, backfill it with dredging out the river, which they dredge all the time to make it navigable. And uh, you could put a Ferris wheel over on that side. You'd see it coming across the bridge because it'd be lit up. You would have the entire length of that part of the park to bring in and do the barbecue. You could have t- uh, amph- amphitheaters built there for musical events. I think you could do a lot. I just think it's a shame that, that Mud Island is wasted when it's right there. you got an amphitheater right there. And I, that was my thought. Give somebody a bone, buy it for a dollar, and then let them come in and invest their money in making the old uh, River Museum the world-famous uh, barbecue hall of fame. Yeah. Well, and, and this is me as a, as a Memphis citizen, you know, someone that lives inside the loop, pays my taxes, all that kind of stuff. But, um, the MRPP is funded by the city council based on its loss of revenue a year. So if one of their assets all of a sudden becomes a moneymaker, I don't know. I'm not, uh, I don't know the legalese of it. But I thought that would be a good thing if it was a moneymaker. Yeah. Well. So I do think that's a part of it, right? I, the funding of MRPP, how that's set up, or the RDC, how it was initially. Because at the time when it was set up, it was to kind of manage a lot of the riverfront that wasn't getting managed properly. And that was, uh, Doc Harrington put that in back in the day. And mm-hmm. I think it had good intentions. But um, it'd be a curious question. Would, what would happen if Tom Lee Park, was set up as a business and was making money on rentals. And what if Mud Island was back running? And, you know, I don't know what that does to the funding. I'm just talking out loud. Well, that's just so, such a foreign concept to people in government that something could actually fund itself, that something could actually bring in money I know. instead of the taxpayers funding something else that turns into a, another folly. Because if, if you're asking me, Right now, Mud Island it generated millions for downtown, millions for downtown restaurants and businesses, and now it could be the last year they're downtown unless they find some other location downtown because if they go out east, 
downtown will not benefit from a Memphis May event at Shelby Farms. Yeah, I mean, you originally had asked where would be a good spot. Uh, Shelby Farms, they've got some spots where you could do a large festival, but the heart of Memphis in May as an event, you could do a great music festival at Shelby Farms. Um, I'm sure you could. You could pull it off. It's got space. You could make it work. But at the heart of it, Memphis in May is, is almost meant to be downtown. That's how it was originated. It was originated as one of the things that was drawing people downtown when nothing was downtown. And that's the purpose of that was to pull people downtown. And now if you're running that, you know, if you're Jim and his team, it's almost like, hey, y'all, we're getting you kicked out of here, you know, and opposed <laughs> for to, being successful, for being successful and, and trumpeting when no one else was trumpeting. Yeah. We got to take a quick break. We'll come back and wrap this up. Uh, Brian Ellsworth is here and uh, he's got some good ideas. Maybe somebody's listening. We'll talk about it when we come back. That's life. I love this. I do too. And it's so true. Uh, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Uh, we're here with Brian Ellsworth, who's uh, done a lot of stuff. He's uh, run county fairs, musical venues all over the country, and uh, had a really good idea of turning Mud Island into uh, an attraction in itself. And then when I called him today, he talk about possible locations to move uh, Memphis and May. I said, what about Mud Island? He goes, I, I said, I heard you actually had proposed a, um, turning it into a, a destination event. Sure. And you actually made some progress and then had it shut down on you. Yeah. You know, and sadly, I never got that, that total answer of why it got shut down. But I think uh, conspiracy theorists, whatever you may say, you know, it's funny when you're, when you're doing something and you're trying to do it for good intentions and don't get me wrong. I, I want to make a dollar and buy my kids shoes and all that. So, but at the same time, it's like, Hey, you have this asset almost looking at it like a business. We got this asset downtown that everyone seems to love, have some recollection of reminiscence of seen a show at. And then it's like, wait, why is that sitting empty? And that's what's it's a ghost town. And then it's like, you go to all these other towns that have this riverfront happening and here we've got this prize jewel that needs just like a fixer upper, right? It just needs a little, TLC. And so as we pursued that, I thought it was a no brainer. Look, you got some private people who are going to, you got something that you're guessing is losing a little over a million dollars. They're going to just say, Hey, we're going to take over the expense. We're going to cut the grass. We're going to pay the utility bill. And, uh, and you know what the, every dollar we make, we're going to give a percentage of that to you right off the, off the gross. It's a, it's a no brainer. As you said, I, I thought so. And, um, (laughs) But as I still think about it, I'd love to see Mud Island activated. I, I would don't, too. Obviously, I might not be the right guy for it, I guess, but I would love to see us take that asset. It's like any business. you know. If you mm-hmm. own something that you've invested millions in and there's not really a good reason why you're not using it anymore, uh, it, it, it's worth asking, why aren't we using it? And I do think uh, maybe at some point, new administration, whatever, we can carve Mud Island out of maybe, M, you know, RDC, Memphis River Park Partnerships control. You know, right now they're controlling all those things because when uh, uh, Mayor Harrington was in, it it was needed. You needed somebody to cut the grass on all these miles of riverfront, and that was the idea. But now it's like, hey, we've had, you know, maybe in 2000. But it will also be interesting, too, to yep. see what Tom Lee's uh, and the city of Memphis made from the Memphis in May. What was the last, do you have numbers on the last profits or money they made from Memphis in May? 
I don't not not offhand. I, I don't know what their rent and how all that shook I know out. That, but they were making millions uh, because the, the, every year it was going up until the year that they we had water that uh, rose on the Mississippi. They had to move it to Tiger Lane then. Yeah, and then not this year, but the year before they had it at Tiger Lane. They lost several million dollars then, but I don't know if they still made money. The other delay in it was that they couldn't really make plans on this coming. This, this just passed Memphis Bay for the music fest because they didn't know if they were going to be far enough along to have it there. So they couldn't book acts last, uh, summer for this, this coming, uh, or this past May. Uh, and now it looks like it's all up in the air, which makes it difficult to plan anything yet again. Well, it is, and it, it looks to me, Tom Lee Park, you know, that's a dead idea maybe from the Memphis and Mayor event perspective, but you do have some other places, and that's what we're talking about, of just could you activate Mud Island? Could you figure out how to make Church Park? It's really not big enough for what they probably need, but you would you would love to see a way that, that we help keep that event downtown. So well, I'll tell you what, uh, you explore yours again. I'm going to see if I can get somebody else on here to yeah. talk about it one from the city's viewpoint. And I would love to have you here with them to be able to ask questions about why did it stop before? Yeah, I, I think it's a great. I mean, they work for us, am I not mistaken? I think so. I think they do. Well, and I think it would be a great question to to really run down the rap, rabbit trail, so to speak, of, you know, why is it sitting vacant? Yeah. It, who's benefiting by that park being shut? There's a reason something is not being done, especially when somebody came along with a plan and it wasn't going to cost the city anything, and they stood a chance to make money off of it. So I'm going to go to work on that in the morning. And, uh, but I appreciate you coming in and, yep. and speaking, uh, very, uh, articulately and, <laughs> and, uh, openly about what you've done and what you see in, in your mind's eye that could happen. I think it, I agree with you. I think it could happen. Yeah. Well, I was glad, uh, glad to get the call and just kind of provide some color. Obviously we'll have a little more time to prepare for the next one. And yeah, I'd be happy to have that conversation. I definitely don't know the answers, but I know the questions I had as a citizen when I was trying to pursue this i know that uh, we talked to the members of may folks uh yesterday and they said that they they really they're waiting to hear back from their insurance company about how much uh, they could claim on their policy uh for damage done to the park which will give them an idea how much money they got left to be able to to even make plans for the next order move it or whatever their plans are um and but he had to, uh, at the time has no idea when that will be because insurance companies have got to do their due diligence and so well and the game the game for them has changed so much the expense to put that event on yeah. is, is astro it's not an event yeah. to make money at this point no it isn't all right that's it for us uh, we've got to get out of here we'll be back tomorrow same time same place we'll see you then